You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors. We are a PR firm that focuses on music and tech. And uh, this is fun because I'm not really a performing artist, but the one person that's actually showed up as a I guess you could say a music critic to one of my speaking engagements is Ari Herstand, who I have with me today. How you doing, Ari? Great. Yeah, it's good to be here. <laughs> yeah, I did a uh, a while back. I did a South by Southwest panel with some of the uh, heavyweight producers and directors from various NPR programs, and you were at the front mm-hmm. row taking notes, and you ended up writing up, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that was. I mean, I still reference that uh, that talk that you led. Um, today, I mean, you know, it was the how to get your music out on the NPR and it was a really great panel. Uh, I remember that and I still send people to that article that I wrote because it was just, I mean, you had some powerhouses on there. Bob Boylan was on the panel. I remember you had, uh, the woman who's kind of the placed music on, um, morning becomes eclectic, I believe, and all things considered and that kind of stuff. And yeah. 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 So, so that was cool. So it's, it's yeah. fun to, it's fun to have morning you on. Edition. Yeah. Morning edition. Exactly. It's fun to have you here. We, uh, we've collaborated on some other stuff when we did programming for the DIY musician conference, CD babies conference, where you came and spoke and really contributed a lot to the conversation of artists there. So if you don't know Ari, Forbes called him the poster child of DIY music. He's based in the LA area. He's an artist himself. He's got a book called How to Make It in the New Music Business. And he's been writing on his own uh, business advice blog, Ari's Take, for several years. People uh, oftentimes consider it a go-to place to find out about different tools and services and practices that artists can take. And he's written for a lot of other great music industry publications from Music Connection to American Songwriter, Digital Music News, and so many others. And um, we we've we've never done this. We've never actually like dug in, set aside some time, and really talk through where your view is on some some things. And it, just generally speaking, in terms of practices in the music industry, but also now that we're in this very weird moment in time with COVID nineteen, the pandemic, shelter at home, would love to get your your view mm-hmm. on on some some of how people can can tackle this and what what's been coming up right now. So, but let's just start off. I I hope I got the bio relatively right, but I'd be curious. I always like to ask this when you sit on an airplane and the person next to you says, so what do you do? What would you tell them in in your one minute pitch? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, that, that changes weekly for me. (laughs) So it's usually whatever, uh, the, the most, the most current thing that I'm working on at the moment. And so, but currently, I mean, I guess it's, it's really settled in, in the last couple of years with, with Ari's take. Um, I say I run a music business and, uh, artist advocacy company. And or, I'm sorry, a music business education and artist advocacy company. So um, music business education uh, it started with the just the blog, with my blog, but now it has turned into Ari's Take Academy and I have a podcast. And basically, um, that's kind of the main thing. And then, and then artist advocacy is I'm always kind of speaking out on behalf of artists. And so that's the easy kind of in the nutshell pitch. And then if they ask me to go deeper, I'm like, yeah, I'm a musician too. And yada, yada, yada. I mean, I have like 17 hyphens mm-hmm. always, <laughs> but like, it's now easy to just to say that because Ari's take has become a thing. And, uh, 
uh, yeah, just to say yeah. that around that. That's cool. I mean, you did kind of, you, you, you kind of, well, obviously you started as an artist yourself, but then you also blogged, then you wrote your book and now you've got a whole kind of educational content machine. So you've kind of just kept going down that path, um, pulling, pulling on the thread of curiosity and turning it into a business model as you go, which is super impressive. And I think useful for folks in the music tech scene to hear about anyway. So let's, let's just dive in. What's your experience been since the shelter at home situation has emerged with, with COVID-19 um, from an artist perspective and also from what you're seeing in the music scene and, and, and how, how that takes form with your advice to artists? What's, mm -hmm. what's the basic experience, first of all? Sure. So, you know, I find that uh, that people during this this shutdown period fall in, on on two extremes, uh, one side or the other. Uh, you see, on one side of the extreme, people, uh, they're the ones who completely shut down. They either lost their job or they're furloughed and they don't know what to do with themselves. And so they sit at home and watch Tiger King all day, every day. And then there, that's one extreme where they're really not doing anything. And then there's the other extreme where the people that are just... Um, turn into workaholics and are like, uh, like holy shit, I got to make this work. And then they just go, 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 go. So I'm on the latter end of the extreme and I have never been busier in my entire life. Um, I've literally been like pulling 16 hour days almost every single day for the last month um, or so. And primarily because like once uh, the mayor of Los Angeles uh, shut down music venues, which was the same day he shut down restaurants and bars. So this is before the shelter at home order. And it was like just like maybe four days before that. My friends and I, we kind of put our heads together. I mean, we're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to help these artists and, and music venues that now have their entire revenue cut and and their livelihoods cut so we came together i came together with with two of my friends ashley mayetta and andrew lieb and we created uh, a live streaming music festival we call uncanceled music festival and so we had been working like non-stop on this thing and uh, basically what it is is we got music venues from all over the world, some pretty notable venues like the Hotel Cafe in Los Angeles, Rockwood Music Hall in New York. Um, we're talking the World Cafe Live in Philly and then venues from Portugal and Japan. And uh, basically they book the artists. So they we, we wanted to engage music venues uh, because any artist can go live from their bedroom on Facebook and pop in a Venmo link in there. And we've seen that all the time. You know, I, I think I've never seen more Instagram lives or Facebook lives in my life. Everybody is going live right now, um, which is fine. But at the same time, uh, we're like, how are we going to help their bottom lines? And how are we going to help the music venues that can't go live from their bedrooms? So uh, we, our concept for Uncanceled Music Festival was the venues book the talent. They know how to do that. They have the context of the talent. Uh, they get a cut of all the revenue that comes in. The artists perform. They get a, a large cut of all the revenue that comes in. We also teamed up with Music Cares, uh, run by the Recording Academy, and um, they have an emergency financial assistance fund set up for any musician uh, or actually any music professional in the in the states can apply uh, for emergency funding. And so we donated a portion of the proceeds there, and then we hosted this. Um, our first iteration it was hosted on Stage It, and so Stage It is a is a paywall kind of ticketed performance platform. So. We didn't want to do it on Facebook Live or anything like that. We wanted the the payment uh, to be streamlined, and we wanted to make these um, make it known that this was an event, and you buy tickets to that. And we had some pretty headline marquee artists. Um, you know, we had we had 
Colby Calais, um, and we had Betty Who and Jukebox the Ghost and Dan Wilson. And, and, and within the first uh, week and a half, we actually had over 350 artists perform, and we grossed around $100,000 um, just in the first week and a half. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, honestly, from inception to day one of the festival, it was 10 days. Like, so from, it was wow. like, that's why we were working around the clock. Like we literally, you know, we got Fender to come in and book a stage and they booked, um, some pretty marquee artists like Brian Fallon and, and the aces and Waxahachie. And, um, and so it was, uh, it was cool. And, you know, now we're in this like transition period where, um, you know, stage, it was, was cool. Um, for the time being, but that tech has been around. Uh, it was built in 2010. The The platform hasn't been updated since 2012. And they'll be the first to tell you this. And they're like, yeah, you know, this is like a, uh, it's, it's like a limo, but it's like if the limo was built in the 80s. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, that's kind of like how this tech fund. I mean, for the tech geeks out there, the, the streaming technology runs on Flash. And for anybody who knows, the internet doesn't really run on Flash anymore, except Stage It still runs on Flash. So, like, you know, 95% of all of our artist support came in helping them uh, to enable Flash on their Chrome browser. And so uh, now we're like evolving and shifting and switching platforms. And we're, um, you know, we have. Now that because Uncanceled kind of blew up, I mean, it was written about in Billboard three times, Rolling Stone wrote about it, Variety, I mean, Deadline, everybody kind of like wrote about this when it when it came out of the gates because we're we're the first, I think one of the first music festivals during the shutdown. Um, you know, now we are having conversations with YouTube Live and Facebook Live and and uh, Maestro, which is a really interesting company and Veeps and all these live streaming companies. Um that are really in the in the space right now and so uh we've been testing out all these other live streaming platforms and the the funny thing is is that no one has everything we need and it's like you know it's i think all these live streaming companies are, are scrambling right now to try to figure out what is the best um way to enable people to live stream and make money from it and um you know we have figured out what what has worked um but we also there's a lot of missing features on stage it. Uh, and so every company we talk to, we start pitching features like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. All right. All right. We're going to add it. We're going to send it to the developers and try to get that added by next week or something like that. So it's been an interesting time for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, let's dig into that. That's really cool. Thanks for like giving us a case study that that kind of got traction very early and, and interesting to hear that you use Stageit. We had um, Evan, the founder and CEO of Stageit on the podcast. So our listeners have either heard that or can go back and check it out. And his enthusiasm really shined through. And he was very transparent in that, you know, he, he was kind of like, you know, well, we did this thing and, and all of a sudden out of the blue, there's a lot of interest in what we're doing. So coming back to life has been kind of interesting there. And we've talked to some other folks, other platforms platforms that are doing stuff from uh, you now to Topeka to Side Door, which is a house booking platform that's now trying Zoom concerts. And we're at Rock, Paper, Scissors. We're working with Maestro. Really love their model, um, maestro.io, um, because it, it does allow you to do so many things a little more updated based off of what a lot of the esports folks are doing, but capturing artist data and monetizing in multiple ways and so forth. But um, let's. I want to kind of ask two questions. Phase one is just, what have you learned about live streaming from your experience with canceled uh, music festival and then let's get a little even more tactical about what artists should be thinking about in relation to live stream so let's start top level what what are what are some of the big takeaways about live live streaming um yeah i mean i think the biggest takeaway is that the uh the threshold 
for quality um, and what the public expects right now is not as high as you would expect. And in that, like, I think I think all you need to do is turn on the Tonight Show right now <laughs> and see like the production level that that they're working with. And because everybody's at home, it kind of works to artist benefit that you don't need a multi-camera. Uh, perfectly executed, beautiful, flawless HD live stream right now. Like live streaming from your laptops is totally sufficient and people are engaged. I think the biggest takeaway that artists uh, can learn but also need to know is that you need to you need to approach it like a live stream, not like a video, not like you're recording a a live one take music video or performance video. It's a live stream in that there's an audience watching you, and so you need to interact with that audience in a way that you wouldn't interact um, different than how you just like interact with people who comment on your YouTube video. I mean, these comments are coming in in real time, and on stage, it like the tips are flying in in real time too, and so like the people who are um, doing the best at this, actually making the most amount of money are the ones who interact with the comment, the chat box. And, you know, sometimes they'll take requests or they'll, they'll call somebody out or, or wish someone a happy birthday when they say it's their birthday. Um, or they'll tell an interesting story and, you know, they'll bring somebody in. So it, it's, I, I see like what we found with Uncanceled um, is that the artists that interact with the chat box are the ones where it goes the best. Um, and, you know, it's it's um, we've experimented with a lot of different platforms now. And I think another like big takeaway is that, you know, you kind of work with what you have and you if you figure out how to make the platform work for you and you kind of take ownership over it, it's it's going to work a lot better. There's no perfect platform out there right now. And so I've been seeing people do really interesting Instagram lives out there and, and do really interesting Facebook lives and, you know, all of that. And I've yeah, like you mentioned, you now earlier, um, I looked into you now like four years ago or something and interviewed a bunch of the artists who are like killing it on you now um, and learned a lot from them of how they interact. But I think the, the most consistent thing that I've heard from every artist and what I've noticed just from running Uncanceled is that the artists who approach it like a live stream and not just like a performance in a venue and not just like a video recording uh, are the ones that do the best. Cool. Well, we'll get into a little bit more about that, but I, I want to go down the rabbit hole of a little technology with you real quick. You've got multiple sure. venues that are coming into this Uncanceled Music Festival via Stage It. What, what, mm -hmm. what software are they using to get their performances all linked together, or are they all just logging into your Stage It account? How does that work? So how we did it on Stage It, and this is going to shift, um, you know, we did, yeah, about... 350 shows uh, on stage it through this process. And now we're going to shift um, most likely to Maestro. We were talking to Veeps. I mean, this is you're, you caught me at a very interesting time right now because we've literally <laughs> had conversations with like every live streaming platform out there. Um, and uh, yeah, Maestro is, is, is fantastic. And um, they seem to be the closest of what we're looking for and what we need. But on stage it specifically, because they worked really well for us um, for the time being. Like I said, we were, we grossed nearly $100,000 with them in like 12 days. And how it worked was our team on our side. Because the reason that we could convince 
venues and artists to to play with uncanceled even though we're taking a cut and we're donating to charity i mean we took a very small cut it was we we're very public about it we only took five percent which was not really sustainable but we set it up as a charity so we weren't really doing this to make money we created the account for the stage so we called them stages so like the it was the hotel cafe stage it was the fender stage it was the rockwood music hall stage and then mm -hmm. we would set up two accounts for each venue, each stage. We'd set up the main stage account and we'd set up the sound check account. And for instance, like the Hotel Cafe booked booked a talent, get this, from noon to midnight every day for 12 days. So that's a lot of artists. So we would have, you know, people would need to be sound checking while others were actually performing live. So we had a sound check account and a, and a live and main stage account. And then we assigned everybody a sound check time, which was typically 24 hours before their stage time. And then they would log into the hotel cafe sound check account. And then they would do a full sound check. They had an hour to sound check. Uh, we also had a stage. We have a stage manager and anyone who needs, uh, needs to troubleshoot the tech, they can email or call our stage manager and our stage manager helps them through the tech. Uh, cause most ERs could not figure out how to enable flash on Chrome. And, uh, that's just a, a, a little stage, uh, quirk that you kind of have to put up with. So, you know, then they do that. So yeah, we created, I think we had a total of maybe 18 different curators and we call them curators because we had venues, we had brands, and we also had marquee artists. So it was like the Betty who stage and Betty who booked all the artists who performed on her stage and like jukebox, the ghost they performed, but they also booked all the other artists on their stage too. Um, and yeah. Mm -hmm. And then how we kind of split the money up, it was basically, um, you buy a ticket to the show and we had a suggested, uh, it was pay what you want tickets, but the suggested, uh, payment was $5 and the vast majority of people paid $5. Some people paid hundreds of dollars and some people only paid 10 cents, which was the minimum. Um, but the vast majority of people paid $5 and then you could tip through it. And we actually found in the first week, the average cost, like amount spent per, per attendee was $7 and 50 cents. Um, and so that's the average of what everybody spent coming and watching the shows. And then we split that up. 70% of all the money went to the artists and the venues, the curators, 20% uh, went to stage it. That's their cut. Uh, just kind of what they take. 5% went to music cares, uh, the charity organization. And then 5% went to us and went to uncanceled. And then the way the money broke down with the, the curators was 45% went to the artists of their tips and the tickets that they generated. And then 25% actually went directly to the venues. Mm -hmm. And it was great. You know, we were able to, to write the hotel cafe. I think it was like a 10 or $15,000 check. Um, and all they had to do was book the talent uh, for their stage. And we're, we're, you know, helping to keep them above water right now when they have no, no income and no revenue. Wow. That's amazing. Now I see why you say that you're working 16 hour days. Um, that is an insane amount of right. coordination <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was pretty nuts. And, and it started with just the three of us. Like, I mean, it started with just me, Andrew and Ashley trying to do everything and literally figure all of this out on our own. And we're, we're tech support, we're scheduling the stages, we're doing the graphic designs. Oh, the other thing is, is like, we made a customized branded image for every single artist who performed and uh, that they would share. Now, mind you, by doing this, we got literally millions of impressions on cancel because we had some artists who had, you know, a half a million or, or 1 million, actually one artist, I think had uh, 2 million Instagram followers. And so they would share our graphic everywhere, which is great, but we designed 
350 separate graphics per artist and a, and a graphic for the stage and all of that stuff. And then, you know, days into it, we're like, we can't do this on our own. And so we brought on some people to help us. And so now we have a team of six right now, actually a team of seven. We just brought on a business manager and because uh, none of us are accountants and we're not really good with money. So <laughs> we need we need somebody. Who, I mean, we're just like, we're not masters at spreadsheets. Let's just put it that way. I mean, we're, you know, everyone's gotten paid and they're getting paid. Yeah. There's no problem. We're not pledge music here. So <laughs> hey, zing. Ooh, right, right. Ouch. <laughs> Yeah, now you That's know right. Ari's take, right, guy? Right, guys? Oh, pleasure music. We won't, we won't go down um, that hole, right? Rabbit hole, right now. <laughs> so, so this is a super useful real time case study. So, this is really cool. And I, I've been getting calls from from venues and festivals and performing arts centers talking about mm-hmm. how are we going to do this and and so forth. So, this is really cool to hear you kind of talking through what you're doing in real time, still picking yep. the next platform and all that kind of stuff. Let's get back to artists real quick. You said some cool stuff about how you shouldn't treat this like it's a video you shouldn't treat this like a regular performance um can you say anything out i guess let's 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 go broad level for artists what should they be doing right now in relation to live streaming um should they be monetizing should they be using certain platforms what does what decision points should they be making right so it it really depends on um what kind of relationship you have with your audience and who your fan base is so for instance um if you are a uh in a very emerging artist and um you know, you typically don't sell more than 100, 200 tickets to your local shows, and maybe you haven't really toured before. Maybe, you know, you're just kind of getting started. You probably don't want to set up a paywall live stream. You're probably not going to get that many people to pay to watch your live stream. So then Facebook Live, Instagram Live might be the option for you. And then you put up a PayPal.me link or a Venmo Uh, your Venmo, and then people can kind of tip you that way and you just mention it. I've seen people on Instagram Live because you can't obviously put links in there. They just like put up a sign next to them performing that says tip jar and that's their Venmo or it's their PayPal or something like that. And then on on Facebook, they kind of, they put the the main description as their PayPal, like tip me and that's their PayPal.me link. Now, if you have a bigger fan base, then I definitely encourage you to uh, run ticketed concerts. Now, uh, we spoke to Veeps and they're telling us there's some artists there that they, they're going for the bigger artists. So we're talking Angel Olsen perform like live streamed on Veeps and was it like Sure Sure and, and a few others um, kind of bigger, bigger names um, as well. Maybe mid-level artists, I should say. And, you know, these artists, some of them are making 10 or $20,000 per set per set per show and that's that's incredible and so like i would encourage all the managers out there and the mid-level artists like find a streaming platform that you know works for you and and stage it as an option veeps is an option Uh, maestro takes a little bit more customization but that's definitely an option and they have great functionality there are many paywall options out there that you could look into uh, we even spoke to eventbrite and they're they've linked up with vimeo and they're going to be launching something pretty soon as well and, you know, I would very much encourage you to run a live stream concert series. Now, sure, sure, this band based out of L.A., they're doing an interesting where they're going on a tour 
and they've they've set up a whole tour and the tour is just of their house that they live in so <laughs> fortunately the the band all lives so it's like tonight is the upstairs hallway and they perform from the upstairs hallway and like tomorrow is the downstairs bathroom and then they perform from the downstairs <laughs> bathroom you know and they literally set up their whole system there the whole band drums bass guitar the whole deal is set up in the upstairs hallway and it actually is mixed really well and it sounds really good it's it's just really interesting how people are doing it it takes uh it takes the whole concept of tour routing to another level <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah yeah that's cool well cool that's that's good perspective thinking sort of about kind of like what how big's your fan base what are you known for what do people expect for you are you in the obscurity side of things or the ubiquity side and that might choose whether you monetize with a ticket or uh, or just kind of start testing stuff out but give people a way to monetize a little bit of donate or tip I think regardless of what stage of your career you're at, you should definitely enable people and allow people and give them permission to give you money. So however that is, whether, you know, um, you know, we had somebody on stage at who she performed, she, she only sold eight tickets. However, two of the people in there were either super fans or family or something like that. And two of them tipped her a hundred dollars. So even though she sold eight tickets, she made $200 at least, uh, like probably $250 on that half hour performance because she had a couple super fans out there. So you want to enable and allow people to pay you however that is. So even if you're just doing an Instagram live, I encourage you to set up a, a virtual tip jar and like put your Venmo there and mention it and people will pay you if you allow them to. Yeah, it's funny. That reminds me when I was uh, growing up in New York as a as a musician in school and uh, my buddy Max Mostyn, the violinist, I was playing flute. We would play on the streets of New York all the time before school, during school, whatever, around New York City. But on Christmas Eve, we would play between the, the, the Russian Tea Room and, and Carnegie Hall every year. And hmm. there was always this uh, youth symphony concert that was going on inside at Carnegie Hall. And people would come by, oh, look at the cute, starving uh, you know, student musicians. And they would throw their extra right. tickets for the show into our violin case. And we would always sell hmm. them. <laughs> and so we we would make a bunch of money. That was our two hundred dollars tips. Amazing. You know, you'd make you'd make some oh, wow. okay money with tips or whatever. But the, it was I those big that. chunks. And like you said, you just create an opening. You don't know what's going to show up in your tip jar. So um, that's cool. Exactly. You know, let's back let's back it up. You're, I mean, you're basically you've built this career now. This written this book, and now you have this academy where you're giving kind of DIY artist tips of, on, on making a living in the digital era. I want to go back to yep. what what artists should be doing in the current moment. But before we do that, what, what are some of the first things on a top level that you're advising to artists that they should be doing to make a living in the digital era? Sure. Um, so that's, that's constantly evolving um, as well, uh, you know, um, but the the main thing that I've been kind of uh, focusing on as of the last year, which I found that works really well, and you don't need that much of a budget. And now we're we're at a point where your music is competitive. So you know, number one, what I always say to everybody is like, you have to your music has to be great first. Otherwise, all the money on marketing PR in the world is not going to help you. So you you have to get your music uh, to that level that's competitive and, and you can do that through market research and, and you can kind of, you know, there's platforms where you can have, have people take surveys and, and let you know if your music is ready for, for prime time. And then once it is, once you're at that level where you've written hundreds of songs and you have, you know, maybe a, a handful of releases, you have some great video content, now you're ready to uh, get started. Just to build an audience online, what I've been focusing on the last year, um, and I have a, 
Anari's Take Academy course on is running Instagram and Facebook ads to find where your audience exists and invite them into your world. And so it's um, you're not selling anything necessarily, but what you're doing is you're putting your content in front of people who you think would like your music, you know, top level, something everybody can understand, fans of artists who are similar to you. That's really, really simple. Um, you know, so if you are kind of an edgier pop rock project who who appeals to kind of, you know, 20 somethings, you like fans of the 1975 or something like that. And like, you're going to go target those people. And really simple. That works really, really well. And, you know, we've been running Instagram story ads for the last year or so. And and uh, I profile this artist, uh, Lucidius, who's our, who's our instructor for the course. You know, what he did was he went from literally zero fans uh, making no money to three years later having over a half a million monthly listeners on uh, Spotify getting... 5 million streams a month across all platforms, making over $20,000 a month on just streaming. And he only did, and he doesn't tour at all. He literally, he's, he's never played live or I think he's played a few shows live ever. Um, he built up this hardcore fan base and, and it's across the board. He's got 150,000 Instagram followers, 250,000 likes on Facebook. Like it's, it's a real fan base and he's, his, DMs are flooded. Like he shows me his his Instagram inbox, and it's insane. I mean, he gets like a hundred messages a day minimum. Um, and these are real people, and he did this by running ads. And so he was kind of ahead of the curve. He started this three four years ago when there was just Facebook ads, and then when Instagram rolled out ads, he jumped on that. Now he's experimenting with TikTok ads and Spotify, and, and basically any kind of ad platform that exists out there, he's like become a digital marketing expert. And so that's why he's our instructor for this course. Um, and so now we have um, almost a thousand students in this course that are that we've taught how to how to do this strategy. And it's working for the vast majority of them, which is really interesting. Like if their music is on point, um, you know, it always comes down to the music. It always comes down to the content. If, if your music or your videos are not really up to standards, you're not going to build a fan base because these are real people. These are not bots. These are not inflated fake numbers. It's actual human beings that are becoming fans. And that's the most interesting thing. And so this is the thing that I'm like really excited about on right now, because like what's so cool is that even if you're a niche artist, even if you're like an artist that appeals to you, you do like really quirky, weird, I don't know, like Celtic prog rock or something like that. And like, you can find your audience. That's the beautiful thing about the internet is that like fans of this exist in the world. And so maybe if you live in Lincoln, Nebraska, and previously there were maybe only three people in Lincoln, Nebraska who love your music, you might think, man, my music sucks and it's not going to appeal to anybody. But what if there's 50,000 people in the world who love your music Previously, you wouldn't be able to find those people. Now you can find those 50,000 people and those can be your super fans that come into your world. And that's like what's so exciting about the, the new internet digital era. And especially with these ads is like you can find these people and it's not that expensive. Most people are doing this successfully for like $5 a day to spend on the Facebook ads or Instagram ads. And so, uh, you know, that's something that we start, we, we work with a lot of our, our artists and then it's, and then it just comes down to what are your goals and uh, the number one thing that I ask everybody and I encourage everybody to do is to set up your six month, one year, five year goals. And then once you know what you're, you're looking for, 
um, and you're working towards, then you can kind of reverse engineer the endpoint of those goals and you can work towards those goals. So like, do you want to get songs placed on TV shows and like sync licensing? Okay, if that's a goal, we can go down that path. If you don't, we won't go down that path, that kind of thing. Do you want a tour? Sweet. If that's a, a path, a goal, then here's how you go about it. And then et cetera, et cetera. Gotcha. Cool. Um, well, that's helpful to sort of get at least a little bit about kind of the context of, of what people can be doing in the digital era. Let's talk more specifically about mm -hmm. right now during current isolation uh, moments. Are there anything we haven't talked about that you would be advising either recording artists or performing artists that they can be doing right now to either be working on their career or even making a living uh, during this this uh, shelter at home crisis? Is there anything that's that's sticking out for you that you think people should be doing? Well, this is a really great time to advance your education, to learn things that you've been putting off. So maybe you had a tour coming up and that tour got canceled. So maybe you want to learn production. Maybe like you want to learn Ableton or Logic and be able to record yourself on your own at home and, and increase your, your engineering recording skills. You know, there's a lot of online programs you can, you can take in if you want to learn in a more formalized education place. You can do that. There's tons of YouTube tutorials. I mean, you can pretty much find a YouTube, YouTube video tutorial for anything. And so I've seen a lot of people hunkering down and in increasing their skills. And that's fantastic. You know, a lot of people obviously are live streaming and figuring that out. Like we talked about, I think this is a great time for sync licensing. I don't think I know this is a great time for sync licensing, which is surprising. It might surprise people that this is the busiest moment in like sync licensing across the board. Like I've talked to many people in the sync space and they say they've never been busier. And if you think about it, it makes sense because everybody's at home. Everyone's watching Netflix, HBO, Hulu, Amazon, whatever, and playing video games. And they need to continually put out content, whether it's trailers or TV shows or they're pumping them out because people are getting through them or video games, all that stuff. And they need music for these for these spots. And so people are are busier now with sync licensing. Like we have a, another instructor for an ATA, Arsic Academy course. Um, he's a hip hop artist who specializes in sync. And he said, normally it takes him like a month of a turnaround time for when he gets an offer for a trailer to just like hear if he gets it or something. And he's like, now it's, it's, ex, it's sped up to about a week. He'll like get an offer to know if he's going to get this trailer. And then a week later, he'll get it or know if he gets it. It's just like sync licensing. If you've been thinking about it, this is kind of the time to jump on that because it's super busy right now. That's that's a great tip that we haven't heard on the Music Tectonics podcast yet. We've been doing a lot of stuff about what's going on with remote collaboration and live streaming. So that's it makes sense. I mean, we've talked a little bit about the fact that the the, the industry trades are reporting that you know video consumption is obviously up with everybody at home, and then there's mm -hmm. been different debates about whether audio, radio, streaming, whether it's up, down, threatened, moving around, whatever. But video is clearly right. up. People are not driving, so they have access to their eyes, <laughs> and so they're consuming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever you know, media with with their full senses instead of just some of their senses. Um, so that, that's totally. super interesting. You know, I'm curious if you have a thought on when you think in real life live performance will return, and once <laughs> things return to whatever the new normal is, what do you think will be permanently changed for musical artists for this next era as a result of the post COVID time period? Yeah, I mean. I I don't think anyone knows when, when live shows are coming back. I mean, what I think is going to happen is it's going to start with the smallest gatherings. So it'll be maybe house concerts first, and then it'll move into small, small clubs, and then it'll move into small theaters, then bigger theaters, and then arenas 
you know, they're estimating that's not going to come back till 2021 at the earliest. So I think what is changing in consumer behavior across the board is people are becoming a lot more comfortable with live streamed concerts. So like with Uncanceled, for instance, we're thinking of continuing this um, past the the shutdown. So initially, we just set this up to kind of as like to stop the bleeding to help the the artists and music venues get through this the shutdown when we only thought the shutdown was going to be a month or two. Now that we know it's going to be a lot longer, we're keeping it going. But at the same time, once the live music comes back to clubs, I think there's going to be a space where people are going to feel comfortable buying tickets to live streamed concerts, whether those are concerts from your home or they're in the clubs that just have a really good live stream uh, access and capabilities. And you now people have been doing these for years. I mean, uh, Nugs is a company out there that's been doing this for over a decade, I think, uh, live streaming concerts from all over the world. But I think it, it took consumer behavior to, to, to catch up. You know, Zoom has been around for years. I've been using Zoom for years. Uh, but mm-hmm. all, it took uh, it took the, the shutdown to get everyone in the world using Zoom and to, for that consumer behavior to change. And so, you know, I think where, where they're predicting people are going to be working remotely much more frequently than they did before and not actually re- like realizing you don't have to actually go into the office to get stuff done. I think similarly, people are going to want to live stream concerts from home much more frequently than they did before. Great. That's that's useful useful feedback about what you're seeing and where you're thinking things could go. Um, as we get close to the wrap-up here on this episode, do we leave anything out, other things you've been working on you want to share with uh, listeners in the music tech and music industry community? Sure. I mean, I just actually launched the new music business podcast. And so obviously these are, you like listening. If, if you could stand my voice for the last 40 minutes, um, you might be able to stand it through a bunch of episodes. I interview innovators in uh, the music business space. So the we had on actually a sync licensing music supervisor, Jen Malone. She's a music supervisor for Euphoria and Creed, uh, Atlanta Empire. Uh, we also, uh, this week, we have Zaytoven on, on the podcast. Uh, he's a hip-hop producer. He's like the godfather of trap music. Um, I had on Andy Grammer, uh, chart-topping pop singer-songwriter. And, and it's really, everybody who I have on the show, we really get into the new music business. We talk about the business side of it and how they're making it work and, and their advice for artists and managers. It's kind of geared more towards, towards artist managers and, and artists themselves. Um, so yeah, I encourage everyone to check out the new music business podcast. Awesome. This has been great, Ari. I appreciate you coming in. It's great to, to hear you just, like, just in the midst of continuing this uncanceled festival and sharing all your thoughts from you know your broad brushstroke of where you think artists can be building their careers and, and the industry overall but but specifically in this moment in time how can our listeners connect with you and, and learn more from you sure uh, i encourage everyone to go to ariestake.com uh there you'll find information and we're, we're doing a full website revamp so by the time you're listening to this it'll be a whole new website uh, it won't just be a blog it's <laughs> actually giving me the the home base of everything ari's take uh so the podcast the academy the blog, everything will be right there. A bunch of videos we're putting together. So ariestake.com is probably the best place. And then on Instagram, of course, I'm at Ari Herstand on Instagram or Twitter. That works as well. Awesome. All right. This has been great. Thanks for taking the time. I hope to run into you in person, but if not, maybe we'll run into each other on an online event soon. 
<laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. It's nice talking All right, to you. Take care. And thank you for listening to the Music Tectonics podcast. I have some news as well. We are launching a new event online called Isolate or Innovate, a music tectonics forum for pivots, adjustments, and doubling down. It's a two-day Zoom forum. We'll have more information about it on our website. So go to musictectonics.com to find out more. It's taking place in May. We're looking at May 19th and 20th from 12 p.m. Eastern to 5 p.m. Eastern. So go to musictectonics.com to find out more about what we're doing there. It's going to be a pay what you want uh, event. And um, make sure to hit subscribe and follow our newsletter at musictectonics.com. Thanks so much for listening. You're listening to Music Tectonics.